Are you gay? Geeky? Just enjoy hearing your good Judy's dish about the latest in pop culture? Well, then you're in luck. The boys of Flame On are here for you. In every episode, we discuss the topics that entrance us. Whether it's comics, TV, movies, drag queens, or video games, we've got you covered. So, if you're ready for your gay and geeky slice of pop culture life, then sit back and get ready to Flame On! Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Are you feeling a bit animated? Well, come on over to the Wicked Anime Podcast on the Nerdy Show Network, a bi-weekly podcast dedicated to animation, Japanese culture, and all things anime. With a true industry perspective, we're always diving deeper than school uniforms and tentacle monsters. Join us on the Wicked Anime Podcast, nerdyshow.com slash wicked anime. It's Wicked A! The following episode of Flame On is presented by the Nerdy Show Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by a comic shop. Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination. And with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geeky programming, visit nerdyshow.com. What's going on, everybody? Pat DeVere here, and we are back with another episode of Flame On. This time it is for the month of March 2021. Where the hell is this year going? It is already the end of March, and I cannot believe it. We have crossed the milestone of COVID for a year, not just uh, once the lockdowns and, and precautions started to be somewhat taken here in the States, but we are now fully past that into a year of living with the coronavirus. Hoy, crazy. And crazy enough, uh, this will come out about five-ish days before I celebrate one year of being here in Chicago. I cannot believe I've been away from you all and the state of Florida for a year now. Lucky bitch. I know Happy I was... anniversary. <laughs> Lucky slut. Thanks. <laughs> I, I I mean, both of those things are how I feel. It's like, happy anniversary, <laughs> and I am a lucky slut. <laughs> Honestly, seeing how some of the shit has gone down in Florida, I am... Is Miami still under a state of emergency, or have they uh, stopped that now that the weekend's over? No, they extended it. It's oh, it's yeah. going it's going till like middle of April, like April fifteenth or something. I mean, spring break's still happening. Jesus Christ! <laughs> it's just happening under a curfew. So all those people that dropped like you know two grand to do it up big now have to be in their do it up big in their hotel room. 
after 8 p.m. But before 8 p.m., congregate all you want in the streets. All bets are off. Oh, the videos that I've seen come out of Florida. I'm just like, this is what I've come to expect from Florida. And I, and I know that most of it's not Floridians because as I've seen posts, you know, they're like, anybody who lives in Florida knows that, you know, nobody goes nowhere during spring break or anything like, you know, the water's too cold for us. All this. And like, I get it. I absolutely get it. But you know that some of them bitches are Floridians as well, because as soon as there's a party, you know, them bitches down in the Miami area are like, let's do it. And then you want to slap the fuck out of them because you're like, hey, this, this pandemic's still going on. But let's get off of that topic because we have talked <laughs> over the course of a year. We've talked about COVID a lot. Me and, and Eric let- live here. We, 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 know it's, <laughs> we know it's trash. <laughs> we know it's all trash. Where's the gif of uh, Bugs Bunny just sawing Florida off the, uh, <laughs> the state and letting it, letting it just drift out to sea? But we are here to talk about the month in pop culture. We've each picked a topic of something uh, all current and relevant to the gay and geeky life that we lead. And uh, I managed to pull myself away from binging the rest of Survivor. Because I'm on season 40, Eric. (laughs) I'm almost done. I, (sighs) by the time I get to the end of season 40 which is the most current season i will have watched 20 years worth of survivor 40 seasons of survivor in approximately 45 days that's not healthy people shouldn't do that (laughs) (laughs) you are absolutely correct sir (laughs) and i will never do something like this again like i just it's amazing though to watch something change over 20 years and i will say this because you know that I've I've mentioned it. I don't think on any of our recordings. I think either beforehand or in our group messages, um, I've I've talked about it a little bit. But watching the show from the beginning is very interesting because there was such a big part of the pop culture zeitgeist for so long. I mean, it was the like longest running like um emmy winning reality television show uh emmy winning host of a reality competition uh, and it was a product of its time it's amazing to see where we've come we have a long way to go but it's amazing to see where we've come from from 2000 to 2021 just in how they deal with topics on the show or how people act on the show. And one of my biggest things I know in us in messaging has been, uh, how have there not been more like, how has there not been much more focus on the racism and the misogyny and all of these like really crazy aspects that are so prevalent in the game of survivor as it's being presented to us. And now mind you, they're out there for 39 days, 42 days in season two. Um, yeah, I think that's I think it was 42 days for that for that one season. But they're edited to show us these storylines and show us these people. And it's crazy that it didn't I and I, I go back and I've, I looked up things and I saw that there were some pieces, but I really feel like it should have brought up a much bigger conversation about a lot of these things. And I wasn't seeing that. But then I got to season 30, and then that was the one where um, I guess 
it kind of hit hit ahead because one of the contestants, I guess, was really mad at how he was portrayed as a misogynist, the postal worker, and like went off and uh, was talking shit in interviews about the production and about the show. And at the reunion, and I, I, I've only watched select reunions, and it was partially because of if there was a hot button topic. Mm-hmm. Like I watched um, the one after uh, season 34's reunion, which was Game Changers, which is yeah. where there was the outing of um, the contestant uh, Zeke. Uh, I've watched the season 39 one, which um, dealt with uh, the player who was actually removed from the game for uh, misconduct with female contestants and then someone within the production. And uh, the contestant in season 30 apparently like really just kind of went off and was, oh, you guys portrayed me as a misogynist. You, you know, I, I didn't say these things. And then there's Jeff Probst going, roll the footage. For the first time, we're showing you unedited footage. And they showed the footage and it was like, and so I realized, I think I realized why Jeff Probst won so many hosting awards. It's because straight people didn't realize how you, how to be shady because Jeff Probst (laughs) is shady as fuck. And then RuPaul and Drag Race really broached the mainstream and they realized that um, the queers know how to do it better. And that's when RuPaul (laughs) started getting the award. I mean, Uh, Jeff Probst is a good host of that show. He's an interesting host. He is. I I, I give him, I do give him credit for that. Uh, I do find it funny when he starts really just um, mocking the players because he doesn't just call like the competitions and these um these challenges he will really just get in there and be like really just start throwing shade at them and be like oh tracy falling way out of this oh yeah no she has no chance at this anymore and it's just like thanks jeff (laughs) you know it's like it's ridiculous but uh yeah, forty five days watching forty seasons of Survivor probably would advise against it. It's a lot of, um, it's a lot. <laughs> but it's a mic. It's a microcosm of the worst of humanity. Absolutely, <laughs> like Absolutely. any reality television. So when are you going to start your binge of Big Brother? Oh, never, uh. never, never, uh. ever, ever. Because if you think never. Survivor is bad. Yeah, and I mean, I will, I will at least give people a little bit of only the tiniest sliver of, of of like rope because they are sleep deprived. They are, you know, food dealing deprived. with the elements, you know, food deprived, all of this stuff. Like, I think it's either thirty eight or thirty nine. Applebee's was a sponsor when they're out in Fiji because it went from being. <laughs> What I don't understand, they went from like, we're going to this location and this location and this, you know, Borneo and the Australian Outback and, um, you know, all of these different places, uh, Chocachines. And now, like, the last, like, 10 seasons are all just in Fiji. <laughs> like, they just changed the, you know, the the, the subtitle of the, the Survivor, but they just filmed Fiji, which they're doing seasons 41 and 42 right now. Uh, production is resumed on Survivor, and they're going to be doing this. And I'm like... And it's back in Fiji. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess Fiji's just giving them a really good rate on um, islands with nobody on them. So, hey. But anywho, that's not what we're here to discuss. I was going to say, <laughs> your first topic was great. 
It was. Um, <laughs> although I will, I I will say I do like how the game has changed. Um, Ghost Island, I think, is probably my favorite so far. I like that concept of uh, reliving like all the stupidest things that people have done and trying to like make players do them correctly <laughs> this time around. And this Winners at War season is uh, is actually pretty decent. So yeah. I, I I like where the where the game has changed, and uh, after seeing how they dropped the ball on handling um, harassment issues, uh, it's interesting to see how they will change and, and grow out of all of this, especially with everything that happened the last uh, the last year. It'll be interesting to see how this whole thing happens. So, anyway, let's get into some actual like relevant pop culture. So. We, oh, I don't even want to throw it to you for our first topic, DJ. <laughs> Get it but, out of the way. But let's do this because we are going to have, <laughs> we're going to have conversation and we're going to have thoughts. <laughs> and I know that our <sighs> listeners out there are, if we didn't touch this, and I, I will say this, I knew we were going to have to talk about this because if we didn't, we were going to have <laughs> listeners that are going to be like, why didn't you guys talk about this? Uh, when I messaged to set up this recording time, my first message included, who's going to talk about this? And BJ... <laughs> who, who is going to sacrifice themselves <laughs> to be able to talk about this? For real, for real. Did you did you sacrifice yourself for I this, have, Eric? I have, I, I have not had a four-hour block. <laughs> four hours and two minutes? Yeah. 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 Uh, I got through four hours pretty much on the dot. The other two minutes and 44 seconds of credits, I did not sit through. So, uh, BJ, why don't you tell us what our first topic will be? All right. Our first topic is going to be the Snyder Cut of Justice League. Blah. So, <laughs> just before we get into the meat and potatoes of this whole thing, let me let me go ahead and start by saying that this it, this is a rare occurrence. Most directors don't have a chance to, you know, sit down and have their their full grand vision realized in any kind of medium. There's always a big chunk that's on the on the cutting room floor. There's there's always themes they have to change, and the the studio always has a long list of things that have to go into the film or uh, fights or something like that. Um, so. I'm going to try not to compare it too much with the 2017 release just because... Yes. And please don't call it the Whedon version <laughs> because I've been seeing it referred to as that. And Whedon didn't have that much to do with it. Yes, there were parts of it that were reshot for that that the theatrical version of the movie. But to call that version the Whedon version is a disservice to anything and everything involved with that film because he was brought in afterwards to do some rewrites and his percentage of making the movie wasn't enough to get him a director credit. That's, exactly. you know, so his name isn't even attached to the film in that respect because he only did a portion of it. So for everybody out there, they're like, Oh, what about Zack Snyder still filmed and di directed the majority of both versions of this movie. Yeah. I just want to put that out there. I, I got feelings. <laughs> no. I got feelings. No, it's, that's no, that's exactly, that's exactly it. So, so they're just, I view them as completely separate, two different beasts, uh, just involving the same cast and crew and 
backgrounds. Um, secondly, um, I may possibly uh, do a, a mini micro. I'll, I'll toss it out there to Pat um, about some of the Ray Fisher controversy. Um, because after watching this, I fully understand why he is severely upset. And, and I'll, I'll also talk about my feelings on uh, cyborgs portion of things, but I'm going to go ahead and just kick it off with, uh, what I actually liked about it first. So, um, honestly there, so I honestly, so a lot of my feelings, I see, I said I wasn't going to compare, but I already have a comparison. So (laughs) I watched, so I sat down and watched, uh, Batman v Superman on a flight a long time Why? ago. Um, Why? I, well, that, that was the thing is, is when I watched Batman v Superman the first time. So one of my main issues with, with the, I guess it's defunct at this point. Uh, the DCEU was the fact that their movies always seemed badly edited. So when I watched Batman v Superman, you would have certain scenes and this would happen a lot with Lois but you'd have scenes where they would begin something and then it seemed like they weren't done having a conversation, but it was just cut. It was just edited out either for time's sake or just for whatever. So when I watched um, the extended cut of Batman V Superman, everything made sense. Like down to Lex Luthor's freak out, everything so like uh, when they when they open with this movie, I actually loved the opening where they started right at the end of Batman v Superman, and you have uh, Superman having been killed has his like death throws, which activates the boxes. And in my head, when I first the watched scream, the movie, the scream yeah. heard around the world. <laughs> well, see, and that was the thing. That's the fucking bell that Lex Luthor was fucking going nuts about at the end of Batman v Superman with Batman, where he said, you can't unring that bell. That was the bell that was rung was Superman screaming his last breath. So I'm like, Oh wow. Look at that. There was just, and that's just one connective thread that would have made Jesse Eisenberg's Lex a little bit less manic and a little bit like just, it made sense. Like it wasn't good. Would it have really made him less manic? Would there really have been a point for the Jolly Ranchers? <laughs> was there really a point for him peeing in uh, the 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 uh, peach snapple? Oh no 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 no! I wasn't. I was talking about his his freak out in Arkham. Oh, um, right. Yeah no no. The rest of him oh. <laughs> is is awkward. But but I but as far as that movie to the next movie, I was like, oh okay cool. Uh, the next thing I actually enjoyed is. Um, uh, I actually enjoyed. We got to see Lois um, actually mourn, um, th- which was which was less awkward than the scene that was added to the movie originally, where her and Martha are just chilling, having 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 girl time. Um, I'm like, like the love of your life just died. Your son is dead. Like, how are y'all having a good day? <laughs> they jump like a cougar if you miss by a dime. <laughs> exactly. So I, I like that we, we actually got to see Lois visiting the monument. Like she literally would visit the monument every day. Um, now this brings me to something that I still don't know how I feel. Martian Manhunter. <laughs> what? Boyd. Boyd. Okay, what? have you watched Dollhouse? 
he's Boyd on Dollhouse. And yes. I got so excited <laughs> when he turned back into John Jones. So, no, but, so but, but Martian Manhunter's now a character? Oh yeah. Uh he's been a character. So <laughs> so because well, oh, no, no, so, there weren't enough characters that they just like decided to throw into this movie. They also threw Martian Manhunter into this. So the general from Man of Steel is apparently uh-huh. Martian Manhunter. Secretly. Not okay. so secretly. Um, he poses as Martha to... He's doing his own little thing in the background, but he poses as Martha... Why did you say Martha? <laughs> to get <laughs> Lois out of her funk. Which the Justice League completely ruins. Which brings me to my next favorite thing. <laughs> they didn't really have to go... They didn't go into the pseudoscience of uh, bringing Clark back. They were just like, it's a goddamn mother box. This thing fucking converts worlds into whatever the fuck it feels like. It can, ra- it can raise a Kryptonian from the dead. Um, so I was actually okay so with no weird pseudoscience. Did you feel? Did you find it weird that Aquaman was like, "Life is is binary. It's ones and zeros. It's either it either is or it isn't." <laughs> Why is Aquaman the one saying this? <laughs> that that'll that'll be on the other list. Uh- <laughs> like, like, like that should be a Batman. That should be a Flash type thing. More science minded. Yeah, or well, Aquaman, <laughs> or 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 Cyborg, because now we'll, yeah, we'll go, yeah. we'll go, we'll go to the my next thing that I absolutely loved, Ray Fisher's Cyborg. We got a full backstory and character development on him, which we did not get in the previous movie. It was all spent on the on mostly on Bruce Bruce's guilt, which I'm like, it's Batman. You don't need to spend time on Batman's guilt. We know, um, but we spent more time on Batman's CrossFit. Because yeah. oh, yeah. if they had taken his clothes off more, I would have been more excited about this movie. Exactly. Um, so, um, no, they they did a fantastic job um, with Ray Fisher's Cyborg. I mean, it honestly seeing how he's reacted to uh, seeing how he's reacted to Warner Brothers and just all the issues he's been having, and then seeing exactly how much of his character development was just plopped on the the cutting room floor it's it's like it's a big chunk it's very important especially when you get to the end of the movie where you know the mother box is going to tempt him with images of his family um the whole idea that he started forgiving his father they killed silas which i it's a choice it's not a bad choice. It's not necessarily a good choice um, since I actually, it, 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 you never got closure on that storyline. And I would have li- really liked to have gotten some form of closure on like him, at least r- outright be like, I love you, dad. And he did, but post-mortem. So he nodded to his father, right? There, there were nods, but, but no <laughs> real, a literal nod. Yeah. So, so I would have, I would have liked to have um, had Silas Stone survive, um, or at least die later in the movie. Um, How much later? That was like three hours and fifteen <laughs> minutes into it. Exactly, but that—that's that's why I said at the beginning we're just—it's—it's it's, its own—it's its own beast. You had four that hours, forty-seven of two hundred and twelve. You had four hours. You could have had him die later, later, later in the movie. Um, so I think, honestly, I mean, 
I I kind of liked how more much more subdued Barry was. Um because they made him downright clownish in the original one. And this one, he is more science minded. He still he still cracks a couple of jokes. Um those were jokes. And yeah. I mean, he's still he's Barry. Like he's awkward and weird. He's awkward and weird. Um so um but I pre- I appreciated his lighthearted moments more as opposed to by the end of the original one, I was like, okay, Barry, we get it. You're quirky. Um, you're the Zoe Deschanel of, of the Justice League. Um, <laughs> I I uh, wish that Iris had said something. Um, I, liked, I liked that scene where he saves her and then carefully like, tries not, you know, to accidentally snap her neck because he's moving at the speed of sound. Um, After he just stands there and stares at her and creepily moves her hair out of her face (laughs) and then pulls a hot dog out of the air. (laughs) I like how he seemed more excited about the hot dog than he did once he, like, saved her. Uh, I feel like that's what balances it out. Otherwise, it would have been weird and creepy, but at the same time, I do... The next moment, he's in a pile of dogs feeding them a hot dog, so I'm like, okay, he's awkward. (laughs) Um, but, um, yeah, so that was, that was mainly it. Um, the banter, this is, this will be the only time I say this. Um, Jared Leto's little scene in the Joker, the banter between him and Batman is so toxic and so wonderful Mm. that I'm like, I loved it. I absolutely, I absolutely loved them, them, them literally being Bruce being like, like, that's not very careful. And then Joker being like, you know, literally just laying into him just to try and get him to go off the rails, which is what Joker does. Um, and then Bruce almost getting him to go off the rails, which was actually pretty good. I was, I actually enjoy that. That was the only time Jared Leto felt like the Joker to me and not some weird gangster. Um, the world is ending and he's still taking shots at Batman and I'm all for it. Um, and, uh, the other post credit scene was so simplified and so much better, mostly because I got to hear Joe Manganiello talk as Deathstroke and I got to see him with a mohawk, um, because now him and Bruce are fucking, it's canon, it's forever. Um, that's that's how it's happening because they're never going to make any more of these. Ta- sorry, uh, he's obsessed with he's obsessed with Batman. He just found out Batman is Bruce Wayne, and now he's super excited. I'm like, yeah, no, because they fucking. So sorry, they're fucking in the. It's the it's an alternate timeline apocalypse. They're fucking. Um, that's, that's now my new headcanon, so I'm good with that because yeah, yeah, Joe Manganiello. So, oof. Yeah. yeah. That, so th- that was a positive on my my checklist as well. <laughs> Harry Trusted, Henry Cavill, still oh. a, a positive on my checklist. Yeah, yeah, yeah more sure. more time with shirtless. Um, oh, actually, I almost forgot the the one thing that that made me feel feelings. Um, it's it's a dark it's a dark DC film. Uh, Lois bringing Clark back, him and his weird like, not so much rage, but like I'm gonna blow you up because you just did a thing. His, showing him gradually coming back mentally it didn't even take that long to do it was it was like a five minute continuation of the original scene that was left in the theatrical cut that i enjoyed because that kind of brought lois's whole grief cycle full circle 
which could have fit in the original movie. Um, so I liked that, that, that part actually made me, I was like, this is a Superman story right here. There's a lot of heart in this. There's a lot of feeling. Uh, everything still looks like it's overcast, but whatever. Um, <laughs> Why but, was everything blue? That's, everything so, was blue. Normally it's like a sepia tone. This time around, everything was just blue. That's that's Snyder's. So so he's he with his uh, cinematography sort of thing he does because like everything in Man of Steel to me felt like it was orange or yeah, it's like got that like a light. Uh, that orangey brown tone. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure there's some there's some if you I'm sure if you look comb through interviews he'll he'll give a reason. It did make certain special effects pop um, better than in the previous one. Uh, every time Barry's lightnings would shoot out, I was like, oh, I'm awake now. Um, and uh, Barry reversing time that was actually very beautifully done. Um, that was actually really, really, uh, really cute. Um, but yeah, so that's that's my that's my it's it's an okay list of of things that I actually legitimately enjoyed and glad I was paying attention at hour three. Uh, Mark, <laughs> um, Pat, what were what were your uh, your where did you have any highlights? I know that's a short list for you. Yeah, it is a very short list. So I was like, all right, I'll throw in some of my positives too. Um, I like that there were a couple of questions or things that were kind of like, okay, well, why didn't you go do this that were answered in this editing of the film? Dr. Stone going and getting the mother box off the top of the car was an addition that wasn't 100% necessary. And I still kind of want to know why the flash didn't go run over and get the mother box. They know that Steppenwolf is looking for this active mother box when it's active. It's calling to Steppenwolf. Why did nobody go for the mother box after it shot out of the spaceship and land on a car, not 20 feet away from where they were. That's one of my things. Like I just didn't understand it. And this, at least it showed, um, uh, what is his name? Silas? Yeah, Silas Stone. Silas Stone going over and picking up the mother box and taking it to uh, to Star Labs again. Star Labs played a very heavy role in this this cut of the film. Uh, more so than I, I ever dreamed I'd be seeing Star Labs outside of the Flash television show. Um, I, I did think that there were some story beats that kind of worked a little better. Yes, um, there was a bit more development for Barry, there was a bit more development for Cyborg, um, and it, it glued some pieces together. I'm gonna it's a it's a positive and a negative for me. So I'm gonna just talk about I'm just gonna right now say it did help to build their characters more. I'll talk about the other side of that when we get to that in a minute. Um but yeah, I mean overall it it, it wasn't a bad movie. I didn't think Justice League was a bad movie. Uh, the theatrical cut back in 2017, it's not great. Neither version, I think, are great. And seeing a lot of people that are just fawning over it, I don't under, quite understand. It's I, I could choose to willfully be like, okay, this is horrible. This is ridiculous. Why is this even a thing? Or I could be willfully, oh my God, this is the greatest thing to ever grace this planet. It's neither. It, um, it tells the story. And it tells the, you know, the story that he wanted to tell. Good for him. Um, but yeah, like, overall, it, it wasn't 
horrible. I would like my four hours of my life back. Uh, <laughs> but, but you know, it's a thing. It's out there. And yeah, it, it had its moments for sure. And again, it's the same thing with the theatrical cut. It had its moments as well. So um, that'll be the end of my list on the on the positive side. <laughs> Let's talk about the, uh, the, the drawbacks that Zack Snyder's Justice League had for you, BJ. So... I don't know. I don't know if this is. I don't know if this is. So I don't know if this is more of a dig at the previous, the theatrical edit, or 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 actually this. this is perfect. We'll go right back into to kind of what I said at the beginning. If you need four hours to tell a complete story for all of your characters or for all your characters and the characters you want to shoehorn in here, because let's not forget Adam, the Adam was also in this movie. Um, Yes. uh, Silas, there's a scientist, uh, a star lab scientist um, that uh, is working with Silas stone on Superman's old ship. And it's he they give his full name at the end and it's um, I can't remember. They, it's a slightly different name, but it's the Adam. I was going to say, was it Ray Palmer? No, no, it was it was um, it's uh, Kai Zhang uh, is the actor that plays him. Ryan Choi. Ryan Choi. Uh, yeah. So uh, technically he was uh, if you look at IMDb and everything, he's credited as being the Adam. Um and I was like, oh, oh, uh, okay. I don't, I mean, you could have definitely put that on the shelf for way down the line. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, same for Martian Manhunter. Um, you, you kind of, you got the feeling he's doing something in the background and he has been doing stuff in the background for a very long time. Um, the casting choice for him, it makes Man of Steel feel super awkward, personally. Um, and but yeah, if you need four hours to flesh out this many characters, maybe not have so many characters in your in your film. Um, uh, they uh, Aquaman. Oh, uh, not not Aquaman. A lot of women ended up on the cutting room floor, and at first I was kind of like, whatever. But you had uh, Mira's fight with um, Steppenwolf. Edited, edited way down to the point to where I don't even think she really fought him in the theatrical release, or she's at least she's physically there, um, and she makes air, she makes an air bubble, and that's the extent of it. Um, you know, there was there was Iris cut down, but her role was negligible. But uh, there was just a lot of there was a lot of weird things because, like in this cut, the Amazons have their armor from the original Wonder Woman movie, but in the um, twenty seventeen film release, they're all in bikinis. So it was just one of those things where I'm like, I was like, that's weird. I was a Cardi B, that's weird. Um, but then, like like I said, there were just little things that kept cropping up that I was like, oh, okay, she has more of a role here. Why, why, is, why was that edited out? I'm very confused. So the editing choices... Um, like I said, there was, there, was a, there was like a five-minute scene with Lois that furthered the depth of her character gave us what was going on she barely she barely spoke but there was this nice little thing where we got to see her grieve um we got to see her begin to move on and then the justice league fucks that up um but like i said there there was there was kind of this 
it was a honestly i think it was probably the best scene of the movie for me where she talks to clark and takes him through his childhood home and he comes back and then she's like oh shit my man's back and then and then clark the clark banter comes in with her and i'm like okay we're now we're back to to being normal and that scene didn't really need to be edited in or out they could have left that in in either chunk and i would have been like oh this is great um you mean the the childhood home that they're trespassing in because yes. it was foreclosed <laughs> Listen, there there's all sorts of illegal nonsense happening in this. <laughs> um, I oh, like you mean that- like when Diana was at a crime scene and yet just walked on up, grabbed the arrow right in front of everybody <laughs> and then walked away with it. You mean like when Silas Stone with an entire group of people out there that just watched a mother box shoot out of the, the ceiling of Star Labs and land on top of a car, just oh. walked over and picked it up and walked back into Star Labs. Oh no, he, he had stolen that shit a long time ago. Well, I mean, <laughs> he stole that too, but you know, yeah. but you know what I mean? Like there's a, there's this whole like plethora of times where there's just a group of people and a character just walks up and does something that should be covert. That shouldn't be something that's, a whole crowd witnessing they should not be calling Superman Clark when he's resurrected (laughs) and Lois comes over. What the fuck? Like I, cause one of the funny questions about like the whole thing with, with Kal-El being resurrected is how, no matter which version of this movie it is, how does Clark go back to work after being dead for three years? because or for however long it's been like you know the length of time that he's been dead like how do how does clark go back to work because he's died now you've resurrected superman now clark just shows back up like how does this work but then (laughs) in this version of the movie it doesn't fucking matter in the theatrical cut martha and uh lois are just having a, a chat about clark at the daily planet where anybody can hear the conversation that they're having (laughs) in this version, they just straight up talk about Clark in front of police and other, like, you know, the (laughs) army or whoever is there after he's going on this rampage, like, and legit just flat out call him Clark. Lois calls him Clark right there. Like, how does this happen? Like, I don't understand this. (laughs) I don't get it, but you are right, BJ, A a four hour director's cut. And we all like, Black Twitter especially fucking went crazy when they were talking about the original cut of Black Panther. It was four hours long. You know, it was all like, give us the four hour cut. You know, we we can do this. We want to watch this. We want to see this. But you know, that's not going to happen. Movies tend to be this length of time and then get whittled down. Mm -hmm. And we'll get back into more of like your, your, your topics here for a second. I just, I want to bring this up because it, it deals with this. This was never going to be the version that we got, even if Zack Snyder didn't step away. The, exactly. The story that was released, the, the the public you know PR announcement for it was that after the death of his daughter, that he and his wife stepped away from the project about a month or so after. Um, the there is rumor and speculation and conjecture that there was a. Uh, difference of opinion between the Snyders and the and WB, and he was removed from the project. Had this not happened, we still would not have gotten this on the screen. It still would have been whittled down. It still would have been cut away. It still would have um, been a two-hour film 
So you're still going to remove a lot of this. Yes. Um, you know, when you've got the woman who's trying to be Casper the Friendly Ghost Girlfriend over <laughs> in the, the Nordic Alps where Aquaman apparently can wear shoes and pants but can never wear a shirt back into the ocean. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that Jason Momoa should keep clothes on. But what I'm saying is <laughs> if he's going to take his sweater off to jump in the ocean, maybe he should take his pants off as well. Just go the whole nine. Like, you know, if you're going, if you're going to seven, just go to 10. Like, just do it. Um, you know, having these like crazy women singing a Nordic hymn as he like has the ocean swallow him back up only for Casper's girlfriend over there to go and sniff his sweater. <laughs> Why? Like these things shouldn't and don't belong in the movie. They don't further the story. And this is the problem. This is not Snyder's first movie. For the DCEU. This is a culmination of movies that he has made, all of which suffer from the same problem. They don't tell the story well. And it, whether it's the editing choices, whether whatever it is, they don't tell the story well. So when you take that, and after however many times and however many attempts at, at making these movies that were, for the most part, universally critically panned and mixed um, uh, viewer response. They just kind of got to a point where they said, okay, we're, we're going to stop here and we're going to have somebody come in, do some rewrites. We're going to change some stuff around, change where the ending was going to go because the ending, the reason why the uh, death stroke and Lex Luthor scene plays differently this time around than it did in the other one is because this would have led to, the Batman solo movie, the one that we got in the theatrical cut would have led into a justice league versus injustice league type of justice league two. So there, there are these changes that happen, but this was never going to be what you saw in a movie. You were not going to pop down 20 bucks and go watch a four hour Zack Snyder justice league. So the fact that this got made great for, for it happening for those that wanted it. Um, but this also has roots in, a very septic and very toxic fandom um, that has been behind the targeted harassment of Kelly Tran uh, after her role in Star Wars, um, Gamergate, and the targeted harassment of females in the gaming uh, world and community. These are people that I don't want to associate with. And now with this whole thing, you know, the it was just uh, there was an article that was put out yesterday from when we we're recording this that WB is standing firm and we're not going to continue this version of, you know, the, the Snyderverse. And now there's a hashtag of restore the Snyderverse. And I'm just like, OK, can we just fucking stop it? Like, you got this. Just enjoy it. And now, like, we're, we're already three movies past this type of universe, you know, into these different things. You know, the, the Aquaman stories are going in a different direction. Shazam stories are going in a different direction. The Wonder Woman stories. We've got the Batman with Robert Pattinson taking over the role. You know, you've got the Flash coming. You've got all these things that are going to diverge and be, you know, continue on in the directions that they're going to continue on. But, like, just be thankful you got this. And just carry on. But I don't... The last thing that I want to see is this toxic-ass 
fandom, this toxic sect of this fandom, just run with it and steamroll through and start like just being bullies and assholes again to try to get their way. So like that's that's one of my biggest issues with the whole thing. So that was yeah. So your next uh, your next topic <laughs> there. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. That's that's complete. That's completely understandable. And uh, and it's, I mean, it's never. That's the thing is, it's never going to be enough. It's never yeah. like you could do you could do a twenty hour movie slash series. And there's always going to be an audience that's that's going to be disappointed. Uh, for instance, I I had a conversation with a friend of mine who's uh, moving back to to Orlando, and he loved Wandavision. He hated, hated like he almost didn't finish the series. He hated the sitcom stuff. Couldn't stand it. And I was like, that's what, but that was the, my first time hearing somebody that didn't like the sitcom stuff. Like, I knew there were people online that said it, but it was one of those things where I was just like, but he still liked the series. There's things you can still like. They just not might be done the way you want them to be done. And I feel like I can appreciate Zack Snyder getting the chance to release this because, like I said, you never get to see a director's full vision. You, you, you rarely ever... And if you do... It's it's 50 years later and somebody unearthed their director's cut buried underneath their coffin where they're buried, where they're currently dead. Um, So personally, I would love us to see other movies, maybe not franchise, whole franchises, but I would love to see like another one shot movie, you know, get this get this kind of um, get this kind of treatment. I would love to see something that's not like a defunct franchise essentially get this kind of treatment. Um, so, uh, re- and, and you actually, you, you covered one of my last things on the list were like, you know, what, 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 what nonsense is going to come out of the woodworks from this um, and everything. And one of the, and like I said, one of the things was Ray Fisher, his, uh, the Warner brothers has a very complicated history with how they treat their directors, with how they treat their performers there, it's very questionable because Zack Snyder said himself that he wanted this to be a this movie to be a jumping off point for Cyborg, not even anybody else. This was a jump. This was a major jump off jumping off point, and the movie he wanted to be made after this one was a Cyborg movie. So, it it's it's very telling to me that the director has plans for this actor. You know, and then when the director's wrapped up in in a personal tragedy and and not not really having the time to really pay attention to what's going on anymore, then the one actor he had set up to be the next front man, Captain America, or whoever, gets ninety percent of his story gets left on the cutting room floor. It's it's very telling, and that was that was just one of the things that it's a plus and a negative. Where I really, I really like Cyborg's story. It's a complete story. It was one of the stories that's 100% complete in this movie, um, and you have an appreciation and understanding of the character by the end of the movie more so than really any of the other characters, um, uh, just because they either already had a movie or you're a comic book fan and already know their stories. 
So uh, it, it was one of my things is that I think the biggest sin for me is the fact that had had Zack Snyder not had this family tragedy, like we still would have, like you said, we still would have gotten a meh movie, but we wouldn't have got, we would have gotten a meh, meh movie that at least set up something a little bit more coherently and set up, you know, a man, a character of color to kind of be more of the front man in a potential franchise. So um, it's, it's like I said, I, I was entertained. I enjoyed it. I would love to see another, like I said, another movie, another director get a shot at making the one movie they've always wanted to make. And it could be something fucking boring as shit. Like I, but I'd still watch it because I'd like, I want it. I want to see somebody's vision completely play out minus, you know, uh, studio influence. Um, see, that's most directors and most films because a lot of times the, the extras or the bits that whatever are your deleted scenes. And you have things like um, Blade Runner, the original, where you have, there's four different cuts of the movie that came out afterwards because it's the director's cut, the ultimate, like there's all these different versions of it, but very rarely do you have a movie where it's like, this is nothing close to what the, the, the theme or how it was supposed to go because they can tell a concise story and they can get their, their stories across in in what their what their final product is, you know, I think of something like Edgar Wright when he was originally tasked with directing Ant Man. Um, it would be interesting to see what that movie would have been like, but at the same time, it doesn't exist. Like, just yeah, we don't always get what we want, and there are a lot of people out there, especially on very far extreme right leaning spectrums. Um, some might call them incels who feel like the world is owed to them. And if their characters are not done right, or if this is not done to their liking, they're going to stomp their feet and um, shoot up places because they're having a bad day. Um, I don't know what, to what extent Whedon had in cutting this, you know, this down to what it was going to be. I'm not going to defend Whedon while I do love Buffy with everything that's come out. Uh, post all of this um, from Fisher, from Charisma Carpenter, from uh, Michelle Trachtenberg and the like. um, I'm not going to sit here and defend him at all. What I will say is we don't know what role each party played in making the theatrical cut. What directives came from where, who was doing what. We don't know any of that because at the same time, a lot of this stuff was filmed beforehand because they only did $70 million in reshoots and some bad CGI um, because at the mascara fight, oof, there was a lot of really bad CGI in there. Um, but I, I do, I, I understand where you're coming from with uh, the Deus Ex cyborg um, because apparently anything that needed to be done, Oh, cyborg can do this. And it just magically <laughs> happened. Just have um, him to carry carry the movie. That's why like, you needed those extra arms. You had to carry the movie. But it was like everything. Any obstacle they faced, oh, Cyborg has some, like, is tapped into something that will make this work. Um, but I, um, my thing with that is you don't do an origin story like that in an ensemble movie like this. That 
you know, Snyder wanting to do a cyborg or make this a jumping point for jumping off point for a cyborg film. Maybe you should have done a cyborg film before this. They, you know, people talking about, oh, well, um, the flash is so much more fleshed out in this. Why was this rushed? They wanted to be Marvel so badly that they went from a Superman movie to a sequel that wasn't really a sequel, but a co-movie-ish to a full ensemble piece. They jumped from A to Z without doing any of the work in the middle. And that's why there's a four-hour fucking cut of this movie that has all of this stuff. It has all this. And that's why people are like, oh, well, it's so much more fleshed out because it was four fucking hours. It was multiple movies put into one. And if you had just done this the right way or pulled this out, you could have had a more fleshed out Barry. You would have had a more fleshed out Victor Stone. And then you would have had a much more fleshed out Justice League movie. Even the fucking end where Bruce and Diana walk into the the fucking place where he's like, put a big round table here, six chairs. That could have been the end of a a post-credit scene for the last movie before you do a Justice League movie. You know, and you could have then told a concise story in a two-hour block that wouldn't have been meh. So, anywho, let's wrap this up. We've been talking about this a lot. This is not a micro about the Justice League. Uh, Eric has really? fall, fallen asleep a couple of times during all of this. Um, but let's wrap this up with the flame rating. BJ, give it a flame rating. Two out of five. Okay, I'll give it a two and a, two and a half out of five. I, again, I I'm not a complete hater. I don't think it was a horrible movie. It just did not need to happen. And Snyder just needs to tell a more cohesive story that doesn't involve um, bad homophobic jokes. Like, who's going to give you a reach around? You know. Anywho. Uh, so, <laughs> that that's Zack Snyder's Justice League, now available on HBO Max. <sighs> Well, we thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in and enjoying our podcast. And uh, if you are interested in following us on your favorite social media platforms, if you don't already, head over to the brand new flameonshow.com. You can scroll through. You can see how you can watch us on YouTube and Twitch. You can see how you can find our podcast on different um, platforms in case you want to check out a different multimedia platform with this. I mean, you're listening to our podcast, so you probably know where to find us. But hey, you can send those links to your friends and you can find all of our social media links at the uh, on that page as well. You can also go and support our show by purchasing some swag over at Threadless. Our link is there on the website or by going to Patreon at patreon.com forward slash flame on show, just like our good friend Joel. Um, he is our newest patron. Big shout out to him. We did a shout out during our WandaVision episode, but this is the official welcome to the Patreon family, Joel that you get with your uh with your subscription so thank you uh but you can join at any of our levels we have new levels coming very soon i know i keep saying it but i promise they are coming we're <laughs> hammering out details we want to make them good we want to make them special um so go check us out patreon.com forward slash flame on show there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. All right. So that was a major topic. I think I think it was needed to be we needed to talk about it. <laughs> you know we would have gotten had, some hate mail if we didn't talk about it. We had to we had to talk about it. Yes, yes. So uh I know my topic will be short. So this is if you've gotten through that, you've hit the halfway point and it's all <laughs> it's all gonna be good to go from here. So let's throw it on over to Eric. Eric, talk about your topic. What you got? So let's move from DC to Marvel. Woo, so much better. I feel, yes. so, I feel lighter. <laughs> I feel like Red Wing is going to pop off my back. That's going to help me out here. That son of a bitch. So, um, WandaVision has ended. WandaVision. But in its place, we have, we have The Falcon and The Winter Soldier. Uh, don't um, you mean The Mephisto and The Winter Mephisto? <laughs> don't, don't you mean... Don't you mean Steve's exes are finally going to start dating? <laughs> I think it's I think it's the uh, Sharon Carf- Sharon Carter's bachelor bachelorette. <laughs> <laughs> um. So we what is this, six months after? Yes, yeah, six months after the end of Endgame, um, is when this story starts. Um, and it opens with, uh, Sam working with the air force in Tunisia to stop some terrorist group from hijacking a plane and a pilot. Um, and when he gets back, he has to deal with the shield that Captain America left him. Is he going to take up the mantle? Is he going to become Captain America? And he decides that he cannot do it this, at this point in time, and gives the shield to the the equivalent of the Smithsonian. I don't think they name drop it, do they? Uh, yeah, I think they. I think they actually did name drop it. Was the Smithsonian? Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, it goes in the whole Captain America um, area exhibit, uh, and. His half of the story so far it follows him to uh, is it Louisiana? Louisiana. Yep. Louisiana, where his family uh, is from, and his sister has taken over the family business. Um, they have a, a seafood boat. I'm not sure if it's a particular seafood. Uh, it's a. It's just a, fish, a fishing a fishing boat, and a I think. Yeah, I think they do shrimping and just uh, fishing. Yeah. Um, and it's 
kind of just been degrading over the past five years when Sam's been blipped out and um, their father died and she's just kind of been holding it all together for her and her two sons. And Sam comes in and finds out he can't save, he can't just save the day. Like He doesn't have any superpowers here. And that's going to be kind of his big lesson that just because he's an Avenger, what does that mean for real life? He's going to learn the power life. of collective uh, bargaining. Apparently it means fuck all is what it means. <laughs> it means you better negotiate a fucking salary before you go save the president. <laughs> right? The universe. Let's, let's be clear. The universe, half the universe does not get you an equitable loan. And personally... And and here's the here's the thing. Sorry, here's the thing that I love is that his sister knows. His sister's like, they don't give a shit about us. They never give it a shit about us. And just because you don't save people, they still don't give a shit about you. And he learns that lesson. That lesson hits him hard, hard. Especially when he gets asked for a selfie right afterwards. Right before. Ooh. Right. No, right after. Oh, he, he and after first. Yeah, he takes a picture of him because, like, he was like, he does a little wing yeah. thing, and that's and so he took a picture, <laughs> and then he denies them the loan. And he's like, um, "Can I get a selfie with you?" <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I love the. I wish they would have had Sam just smack it and be like, or been like, "Boy, I would, mm, oh, I'd have been so mad." So, um, Sam's other plot is that when he was working with the Air Force, there was a lieutenant. Um, Joaquin Torres um, who kind of was his eyes on the ground and filled him in on the fact that there are some just kind of um, bad groups out there, terrorist groups um, like the one they fought, LAF but there's others that are going around since everybody came back um, and Torres goes to investigate the Flag Smashers um, who's a group that believe life was better during the blip and are not happy to have everybody back. Um, and they have a leader who may or may not be superpowered, but that is going to be Sam's plot going forward. Kind of work with Torres and figure that out. Um, and the other half of the episode, the winter soldier part, is Bucky has been given a pardon by the government for all of his winter soldier activities. And he's in uh, therapy now. (laughs) Which is going great. (laughs) (laughs) He and his therapist talk and talk and talk. Um, But no... Bucky's trying to make amends for all of the bad things that he did as the Winter Soldier. And he has a list of people who he wants to make it up to. And it's actually heartbreaking. The um, the kind of person that it, they're fixating on, at least in this episode. I don't know if he's going to be a recurring character, but um, the older Asian man that he's befriended and goes out to dinner with um, who is actually the father of 
just a bystander that watched the Winter Soldier um, commit an assassination, and because he was a witness, had to be taken care of. And Bucky just can he's just unable at this point in time to tell the guy that he's the reason that his son is dead. Um, and it's very emotional. Yeah, that definitely, that, that definitely hit a spot that I didn't expect. And I mean, oh, I'm yeah. sure that there are people out there that are like, Oh, I, I saw that coming a mile away. I'm, I'm dense sometimes. And uh, <laughs> when, when he went, when he was kind of having that moment when, cause the old man was, was acting as his wingman when they went out to lunch. And I love that <laughs> that old man is me in so many ways, because first off he was yelling at the young kid pretty much to get off his lawn, which I mean, you know, not throw stuff in his trash can, um, which is totally me. But then uh, Bucky was like, like, well, all right, let's go to, let's go to lunch. He's like, no, I don't want to talk to anybody. And, and then Bucky's like, I'll pay. And he's like, all right, but don't talk. <laughs> totally me. And then, and then he's you know getting Bucky a date with the uh, the cute girl that works at the uh, the restaurant that they went to. Uh, but then, yeah, when he opened the door and there was the the little shrine, the little memorial that he had to his son, it was just like, oh yeah, womp, womp. that makes total sense. And I, I'm I'm assuming it, he will be a recurring character because as you talk about him making amends. It's a very interesting way that he's making amends. <laughs> he's given a, a, a set of three rules to follow. Oh, I love it. Which he's not exactly <laughs> following. Um, but at the same time, in his own ways, is trying to right the wrongs he did as the Winter Soldier. And uh, this is one of the few where it's very much a a an emotional type of response that he's having and he's really it's really a more deep connection that he's made with this man um which makes it even tougher to be able to reveal the truth to him but it's it's a very touching and a very heartening and heartwarming story especially for somebody who's kind of so far in the mc really not been shown as human in that respect but very kind of cold from all of his programming as the winter soldier and to see them start to flesh him out as a more empathetic and a more caring person, it's definitely a much different version and feeling of Bucky. So it's interesting to see. I'm I'm super excited because um, I do know Flag Smasher was like a singular villain in old Captain America comics. And I'm I like the idea that they've used the blip to kind of use the use the flag smasher as sort of a as an organization but what i'm really hoping for is that they have the power broker the power broker is a major figure in marvel comics at one point i think silver age where a lot of villains and a lot of issue were caused by him just kind of handing out super strength willy-nilly to just whoever felt like paying for it so i'm really i really hope they introduce the power broker um well, be- I, I i think they'll have to because yeah. of what got revealed at the end of the episode in that the U.S. government in all their infinite wisdom said, we need a Captain America. So guess what? Here's a brand new Captain America who is 
John Walker. He's not name dropped at the end, but he's credited in the credits and on the Wikipedia page as John Johnny Walker. Walker. He's Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker <laughs> and, and actually, was Captain America, but became U.S. agent. Yes. And um, Flag Smasher actually is a singular person in the LAF. Uh, ah. it's, and it, and they actually gender swapped her because in the comics it was Carl Morgenthau and in the show it's Carly Morgenthau so hmm. she is the leader of she is going to be one of the villains the you know and then was and then within this group um and then we'll see you know the arc of Johnny Walker from Captain America to US agent because you know yeah. U.S. Agent is coming. Because oh, yeah. one of our two has to take up the mantle. Oh, and also Torres in the comics actually becomes um, uh, Sam's Falcon. Because uh, in the comics he gets uh, caught by the High Evolutionary and experimented on and spliced with Falcon DNA. Um, and Sam and him uh, become like the Captain America Falcon team. Uh, at one uh, point in the comics, uh, so here it seems like that they're they're partners, uh, uh, li- either even though they're they're just lightly partners, but they're currently like working together. So I like that little nod um, uh, to that because I think uh, Torres in the comics becomes one of the champions with uh, Kamala and Miles. Um, oh, so that it's must really have been after that must have been the second, at least the second iteration of champions, the newer champions because. Yeah. I read most of the first one and he wasn't part of it. I didn't realize he was a character. Yeah. So that's that's awesome. He's a very handsome man in the show as well, which is yes, lovely. Yes, he is. Um, <laughs> but um, I, one of the things I did like but made me sad was that this show, when it switches from that first mission, I I found it hysterical. They were just straight up murdering people at the beginning of the show. Yes. It took a minute to realize that Bucky's was a flashback, but like even Sam, like they're just Sam straight was killing up. those LAF people. Oh yeah, yeah, they, just straight they up died. blowing up their fucking <laughs> helicopters. <laughs> but um, once it moved from that into him kind of like talking with, uh, I, I forget who he was talking to. It felt like a therapist, but kind of like that his whole conversation and his whole. Um, saying that the shield feels like somebody else's is the end of his run as Captain America, his most recent run as Captain America. That was the reasoning behind him taking up the mantle of Falcon again before Cap was de-aged and like they did this whole thing and he was in the Tesseract and blah, 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 whatever. Um, The whole point of it was that it never felt like it was his. He always felt like he was living in someone's shadow And it was like, he can never fully be what people wanted him to be. And it was such a powerful, um, like that issue where it kind of ends that and he gives up the, the shield and the mantle of Captain America was really hard hitting. And to kind of get that same feeling from that first little bit of his dialogue about it in this show, I was like, okay, cool. Like I'm, I'm, I'm down with this for sure. Yeah. A couple other points that stood out to me was um, when Sam gave the shield to the Smithsonian and there was a whole event for it. Uh, Don Cheadle was there as Rhodes, Rhodey. Um, 
So it'd be neat to see him kind of continue on because he and Sam are a lot alike in that they were both kind of the sidekick, if you will, character to both Tony and Steve are gone now. And it's Sam and Rhodey are left now to kind of take up their mantles, if you will. Um, well, which will be funny since you say that he'll actually end up having a little bit more in common with Johnny Walker because they're kind of the, um, almost like the government sanctioned version of the hero. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, um, if anything, it'll probably be Rhodey talking to Sam saying, Hey, there's something off about this guy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, I think, I think Rhodey knew, knew, Rhodey saw the writing on the walls. And that's the thing is until end game, Rhodey has always been a company man. He's always been a go. He's always been a soldier. He's always been while while Sam's been kind of while Sam's been kind of more more just going along with Cap. Like he agrees with Cap's ideals more than he agrees with being a soldier. Uh, Rhodey's definitely the soldier man, and I Rhodey Rhodey talking to him at the end of his speech was one hundred percent him being the, like the writings on the wall. He knows exactly what's going to happen, but I 100% guarantee that Ross or one of, one of those other musty fools was like, I order you, like, he signed a non-disclosure or he's not allowed to say, and he didn't. So I think that's going to be a slight point of contention because the head of the Smithsonian looked look, looked Sam right in the face and was just like, oh yeah, sure, here you go. And then we see that same fucking dude on the news like, Here's your new Captain America. And so Rhodey's not an idiot. Rhodey knows exactly what's on the wall and he knows exactly who he's working for. So it'll be very, very interesting when they do the Iron Wars uh, series or limited series because you be guaranteed there's going to be a, somebody in the U.S. government that has a speck of Tony's armor. So it's really a matter of is he going to go up to them and be like, hey, I'm the only, the only one sanctioned to be wearing this. I don't care if you're a superior officer. So it, it sets well, up. Don't, it's, don't we have um, either Iron Patriot or like. Um, uh, it, I could have swore that there was like a government one. Or is that what War Machine turned in turned, uh, came from? So War Machine is still technically what he's called. I believe. Um, oh, Hammer. That's it. Hammer was supposed to get one of Tony's armor specs and create the Iron Hammer, Patriot. Um, however, in the comic, uh, when the government, um, removes shield and instates hammer as their government contract, uh, their, their contractor for, uh, defense, um, unbeknownst to them, Norman Osborn owns hammer and Norman Osborn becomes the iron Patriot. Oh yeah. That's, that's back when he was in charge of the. The quote-unquote Avengers. Yes, he he created his own Dark Avengers team. Yeah. Um. So I would be really interested to see, um, how th- you're you're seeing the world building is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, because with Wandavision we got little tidbits of what's how the world is going on and what's going on post blip. Um. Same for Spider Man. Uh. But in in this we're getting a really good view at people's mental states apparently now that you have people that have come back, you have some, most people are just happy to have their family back. 
But then you have other groups that are like, no, fuck this. I want to see dolphins in the Bay again. But then you've also got the government. People are now terrified of superpowered beings. People, a third of the Avengers are gone. So now it's it's very much everybody is kind of, everybody is trying to adjust to this new normal. And then you realize that Sam has to adjust to this new normal. While the same at the same time, you've got Bucky who's, hasn't had the opportunity that Steve had until now. And he didn't have, he really didn't have anything to come back to. Exactly. Post blip the way that Sam did. Because Sam at least has family who's alive where um, Bucky doesn't have anybody. Um, It was nice in the therapy session when the therapist took his phone and said that Sam has been reaching out to him. Um, Bucky's ignoring it, but Sam's reaching out to him. Uh, but it's clear Bucky doesn't totally understand how to live in the new world um, from the kind of the dinner date conversations. <laughs> he said he tried online dating and that didn't work out. So uh, confirmed, Bucky's on Grinder. Um, <laughs> I like how they casually just reference his age. In like, and made it like this joke and it was like that was I thought that was fucking adorable <laughs> did they did they discount like the five years that he was gone in the snapture <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I'll be looking forward to in future episodes the return of Sharon Carter and um, it'll be interesting to see how uh, Zemo fits into it all yeah. Afterwards, because yeah. if you have if you have the flag smashers as the villain, how does Zemo enter in, enter into that? Oh, and one hundred and six is not taking away the five years for the Snapture, so he's only one hundred and one. Uh-huh. <laughs> he was born one hundred and six years ago, but he's technically only one hundred and one. <laughs> yeah, and this one's only a six part um, series. So it'll be a little bit shorter than uh, Wanda, what WandaVision ran for. But I, I, it amazes me that people were, were trashing WandaVision. It's so slow. There's no action. There's no whatever. And then we get Falcon Winter Soldier. And it's like it starts off with action and straight up murdering <laughs> people. And there's still like think pieces about how like it's just, you know, like it's it's not good. And it's like. What do y'all people want? Like, seriously, what do you want? <laughs> because apparently you're not getting it at all from anything. They're two different shows. They, they, they're different stories they're telling. I mean, uh, I like both ways of it. Yeah, no, I mean, this felt very much more like um, traditional MCU, mm-hmm. you know? And, yeah. and the thing is, like, if you look at it as a movie, if people have been so desensitized by like all oh, the movies and the fast pace of the movies, that's two, two and a half hours. Okay. Three for end game for, if you're going to sit through the slog of Zack Snyder's justice league. Um, <laughs> but like when it's expanded into six hours, you're not going to be, you can't go at breakneck speed for six full hours. That's just going to feel like too heavy and too intense. You've got to set up what this premise is. And that's why, like, you know, BJ, you're talking about, um, you know, your friend, 
who said they didn't like the the sitcom beginning of WandaVision. Uh, friend of the pod, Luke, messaged me and had said the same thing. And I said, it's okay. You can be wrong. Um, <laughs> I was like, but this is what it promised us. It, it, it didn't promise us crazy action MCU. It told us it was going to be an homage to sitcoms. Like, this is what we were shown. We were told this. We know this. Um, and then he, he messaged me uh, not too long ago. And he's like, I had a, a first date with a boy and he said the same thing that he didn't like the, the sitcom portion of, uh, of WandaVision in the first couple episodes. And I was like, that's okay. You both can be wrong, but this is what it was. <laughs> what we were, what we were told we, is what we got. And then I'm it expanded. can't reproduce with their wrong opinions. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just, that's my, my standard answer is it's okay. You can be wrong. And at the same point, it's it's a, it's a sassy retort, but at the same time, people who didn't want to give it a chance, who then realized it was building to this greater thing. And yeah. it's realizing that you don't judge something off of the first couple of episodes. You know, yeah. it's it's how I felt about the first, honestly, almost even the first full season of like Shit's Creek. You know, it was a bit of a trudge for me to get through and everybody was talking about how amazing it was, how great it was. And once I got through the first half season, first season, it, it, it really grew on me. And it's, that's the thing, you know, not everything is going to grab you from the first second and be amazing. There are some things that need time to build and grow. And that's just, you know, it's what happens. So uh, any last thoughts on um, Falcon and the winter soldier from either of you gentlemen's? No, sir. BJ, anything? Uh, no, I'm, I'm beyond excited. Uh, for the next episode and looks like I'm going to be sitting next to my, uh, as soon as I walk Jane at five in the morning, uh, I'm going to be <laughs> curled up in bed underneath my sheets, watching it like a, some weirdo on my phone. <laughs> I, it's, it's not appointment television for me. Um, I don't have that same draw as I did with WandaVision. Uh, but I am excited to see where the story goes. And, uh, once I get back from walking havoc in the morning, on Friday, I will be uh, be tuning in and, and watching myself. So that is The Falcon and The Winter Soldier on The Disney Plus Fridays. And if you go on their Twitter and you, you heart their post, it'll send you a Twitter. Um, it'll tag you in a post and send you a notification that a new episode of uh, the show is available for you to watch. Most oh, of the time. 3 a.m.? No, it's at like <laughs> it's at like 10 a.m. And I'm like, by that point, I'd already watched WandaVision by the time it's telling me. I'm like, thank you. Been there. Done that. No shit. <laughs> All right. So we're going to uh, go into my topic. Um, we've uh, this is where BJ gets to take a nap while Eric and I talk. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, Drag Race UK. So last time that we talked, Eric, you were not part of the conversation uh, because you were not available. But um, Brian, myself, uh, CJ, and the one and only Miss Ginger Minge had a whole th- three-hour conversation about uh, Drag Race season thirteen and Drag Race UK season two in the first like couple of episodes for each of those. But while there are still twenty-seven girls on season thirteen. <laughs> They've added a whole other cast and have started to only take away one person. Uh, Seriously, Drag Race Season 13 started two weeks before UK and only had one 
more queen and uh uk just crowned its winner so we have six left on the u.s side so that means two more episodes before the final four and then uh potentially a reunion show and a finale so we still have like five weeks of drag race us to go (laughs) it'll be interesting to see once this ends but the uk has come to an end after their seven month hiatus in filming after uh, a delayed premiere, because if it was to follow suit, it would have dropped in October, uh, but it dropped two weeks into January of this year. We have crowned our first ever, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. And if you've gotten to this point of the month without knowing who won, good on you, because it's been everywhere. But we've crowned our first Scottish queen as our UK winner and our first Yay, big Diamond. I mean, just kidding. <laughs> and our first plus size queen has taken a crown in the one and only Lawrence Cheney who I from week one have called as the winner of the series Um, Eric what were some of your thoughts on uh, UK season two some highlights for you if you will um when the Meet the Queens came out, I was pleasantly surprised that I liked just about every single one of their initial interviews. And I was like, man, they seem fun. They seem fun. They seem fun. They seem good. Um, obviously, once the episodes started airing, there were ones that I was like, ah, I can do without you. But <laughs> um, things I was disappointed about uh, was Joe Black going home her first episode both times. I was going to say which um, time. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought I originally thought that Sherry Valentine was going to make it a lot farther. Um, I was surprised that Tace ended up making it as far as she did. I thought um, I was surprised Astina got kicked off so early. And I was shocked that post uh, COVID break, Bimini came back so strong and just killed everything after that. Um, she definitely, it, uh, or I'm sorry, they definitely yeah. took the seven month opportunity to really kind of change up and step up their package for the return. For sure. Um, I I thought Bimini should have gone home on the first episode. I did not understand that look. I did not think that was anywhere near uh, Drag Race ready. And was very surprised when Joe Black was sent home first. And still didn't really get Bimini through the next couple of episodes. Post-COVID lockdown... And their seven-month hiatus, I really did see a growth and a change in Bimini. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm of a mixed mind about it. Because you don't normally get that chance in Drag Race. You know, you're usually sequestered for up to about a month to film these 13 or so weeks of, of television for the U.S., nine uh nine or ten for uk i think because they 
still do it all in one. They don't do a live finale and all that. But I, it was very interesting to see the the kind of feel of the show lean heavily towards Bimini once they had that that, that comeback episode where Lawrence seemed to then struggle a bit um, or a lot in some of the challenges. But at the same time, it was it was still a good showing for Lawrence. One of the things that irks me the most is I'm going to air quote here. I know podcasting is a visual medium is <laughs> when fans are out there trashing the queen who won as if they were the person who decided the outcome of the show, as if they had any decision on anything outside of what they presented on the runway uh, or in the challenges. So to go in there and say that a queen was robbed irks me because nothing is guaranteed to these people. You can't rob somebody who it's, it doesn't rightfully belong to. You know, and I get the, the, it's not a literal robbing, it's a figurative thing, but it, it, it kills me because it, it takes away from the hard work that the person who won put into what they did. You know, Lawrence was consistent in the runways and some of those runways were outstanding. You know, there was never really a point where you were like, what the fuck were they doing out there? You know, yes, they may have struggled in some of the the like the, the acting challenges or, or things like that. But that's not necessarily, that's not what Rue's seeing. Rue's not, unless Rue's directing it, that's not what they're watching. They're watching the final product, you know, it's and we're shown bits and pieces of a longer time when they're doing dance rehearsals, when they're doing these acting challenges, when they're doing all this stuff. We're spoon-fed bits and pieces of everything. So at just if your favorite didn't win, be upset. Be sad that they didn't win, but then move on. You, if you don't like the person who won, don't say anything about them. Just, you know, you don't have to go and like try to shit talk or try to post all this stuff. Your hot take isn't so hot. You know, people like to put shit up and talk shit because they think that they're special and they need to be heard. You don't, sweetie. No one's really caring about your opinion on this. Definitely not Rue. So either don't watch or just be like, huh, damn, I really wish Bimini had won. Damn, I really wish Tace had won. Damn, I re- really wish Ellie Diamond would have won. Ah, well, good job, you know, Lawrence. Hey, I can't, you know, hopefully... Bimini will be on all stars. Hopefully, you know, like have some sort of way to be able to lift people up. And if you watch the queen's social media, they're the ones over there uplifting the winner as well. And talking about how much they deserved and how great they are. Follow that fucking lead. You know, I just, I don't understand that. And we've talked about this, you know, we've talked about like with Candy Muse's mom getting fucking death threats who candy muse's mom is a fucking adorable person you know we saw her on that video and it was like who's sending this woman death threats because i need to slap the shit out of them not a joke just a fact (laughs) (laughs) 
But overall, I thought it was a great season. Um, I didn't love, love everybody. Um, you know, I, I think the queens are all talented. Um, Ahura was probably my least favorite of the cast. There was just something about her vibe that didn't gel yeah. with me at all. She's very much that classic American mean girl in a lot of how she comes off and portrays herself, whether it's a defense mechanism or not, because you saw that kind of when she was vulnerable with Tia Coffee and and kind of opened up as a little soft. I was like, oh, okay, like that's more human. Um, but the cast was great. The season was great. And to see it kind of all come back around, I might have gotten a little misty-eyed when the other queens came out and were part of the production number at the end. Like, I thought it was really cool to see that. Like, I love seeing... It's one thing that I wish they would do... Um, and I guess they kind of do with the the live shows, the live reunion shows and all that. They have the other girls come out and, and walk. But it's it's a little bit different, I guess, when it's the runway versus, like, the live theater experience. But seeing, like... Um, the international version do the the runway with the the, the eliminated queens it, it it feels i have a stronger feeling for it yeah um didn't i can't remember what season number it was maybe the season that they did the song that they did was american weren't all the cast members in that music video in the background somewhere i thought there was maybe. one american season that they brought everybody back just to be in the video it's possible but it's it's something you know what it is i think when uk did it the first time it was the whole like i think no uk did it uk was the first one to do it um and it was like everybody's best drag and they had them all come out and like walk the runway one last time Mm -hmm. and then they had them off to the side and crown the you know did the whole thing um and then canada's done it i think holland did it as well um yeah and All Stars has started doing it. I think All Stars 5 might have been the first season where they had like all the girls walk the runway uh, before the end. It, it just there, There's just something about it. And I guess it's kind of because it's in that that bubble of, of the, the season's world. Where when you're at a live taping, a live reunion, it's, it's a, it gives me a different feel because they're all there. They should all be there. But... Neither here nor there. It's just it, it gave me a little a little feel of um, um, just niceness seeing all the girls come back out, especially with the year that we've had, with the fact that Veronica Green couldn't come back because of uh, having contracted COVID right before going back to filming, um, and her blatantly disregarding the color directive and wearing green instead of uh, red or pink. Uh, <laughs> She was like, I'm going to stand out on this runway. Like, it just, it was adorable and I loved it. So, bravo Listen, to the... I, I, I appreciate her Sailor Moon look, but for the final runway, the <laughs> finale... I mean, uh, it wasn't fish slippers, but still. I, I mean, I, I I expect something Ginny Lemon-ish from Ginny Lemon, but... <laughs> <laughs> I did love Ginny Lemon next to uh, Cherry Valentine and Cherry Valentine being like 10 feet tall and Ginny Lemon being like two yeah. feet tall. That was great. <laughs> but overall, bravo to the Queens of uh, Drag Race UK season two. Um, 
Rumor has it that season three has already been filmed or is at the tail end of filming and that international all-stars might be a, a thing that is being filmed uh, at the current time. So it'll be interesting to see all of this coming down the line because we've got drag race down under that is coming later this year. We have drag race España that is coming as well. And then potentially uh, an international all-stars for which all of our queens from all of the franchises can mix and mingle for the first time in uh, Drag Race history. So that is uh, our, that is our UK minute. I'm just going to steal more stuff from uh, Race Chaser <laughs> while we're at it. That was, that was more than a minute, but that's uh, that's our little take on Drag Race UK. Um, I haven't messaged Luke back, but Luke and I usually talk drag race as well. Not just when I'm telling him that he's wrong about WandaVision. Uh, but he asked me what my thoughts were on the UK finale. So I'll be, uh, I'll be messaging him back in just a little bit saying you'll hear him all on Friday with the podcast. But, uh, let's, uh, thank our listeners one more time for supporting us and enjoying the podcasting that we put out for you. And uh, if you have not done so already, you can go to our brand new website, flameonshow.com. On our site, you can find out where we like to be watched, where we like to be listened to, uh, where we like to game. And uh, all of our interviews, there is even a playlist from YouTube of all of our Rainbow Spotlight interviews that uh, Brian hosts on Monday nights. Uh, He just interviewed, as of this recording... Um, founding Flame On member, The Question, a.k.a. Joshua Yale, who is now a big shot over at IGN and uh, had a nice little chat with him. So you can check that out on twitch.tv slash Flame On Brian or the Flame On YouTube channel or the Flame On Instagram or the Flame On Facebook page. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much anywhere you can find Flame On uh, videos you can watch that interview uh, but go check that out on monday nights usually 9 p.m eastern 6 p.m pacific but uh, sometimes that changes based off of the guests that we have on the show but check out our youtube channel for sure because uh, brian usually about a week or so out will have uh the next one set up for um as a a live you know little thing so you can find that on our website Uh, You can also head over and support us on our uh, Threadless store. That link is on the flameonshow.com website. And by becoming a patron over at patreon.com forward slash flameonshow, just like our friend Joel did, um, who shaved off his beard and still looks freaking adorable. Um, And So uh, be like Joel, be adorable, and go join our Patreon over at patreon.com forward slash flameonshow. All right, we're going to do a quick round of one-ups. Uh, we're trying to keep this... Uh, yeah, no, we're, I did a horrible job of keeping this to the time we were going to do. I thought three of us, we got this. But then we talked about Justice League. And, uh, it happens. But we're going to keep this rolling and do a quick round of one-ups. Um, so let's swing it back to Eric. What is your one-up, Eric? So it's basically going to be very similar to my last one-up in that... The Canadian Championships of Curling are still going on. This time, it is Mixed Doubles is currently happening and will be wrapping up the weekend that this episode is posted. And then a week after that, the World Men's Championship 
will be starting for curling. And it's just a very exciting time for me because I'm a nerd for curling. Um, but also quick shout out to Disney Plus because they announced that Pixar's movie Luca that is coming out this summer will be available day one on Disney Plus without any additional fee. Ooh. Oh, because, and we'll throw this on there. I forgot to talk to talk about this early in the episode, uh, but it was just announced that Black Widow and Cruella and maybe another movie, but I can't remember off the top of my head, um, were pushed back. Well, Black Widow was pushed back. Um, and I think Cruella is coming out in May. Black Widow is June 9th, I, if I'm not mistaken. Give, a, give or take a couple days. Uh, but they're coming to Disney Plus with Premiere Access. And they are going to have theatrical releases as well. But to still allow um, consumers the option of, um, of not going to a theater but being able to see the movies, you will be able to uh, buy them for $30. And you will have access to them for as long as you have your Disney Plus subscription. Um, to multi-person households, definitely get a steal on that. Because I know for me, um, 30 bucks is just about the cost of a ticket, plus my popcorn, plus my drink um, at a movie theater. And Havoc, as much as I love him, still will not give me his share of the movie tickets, even though he sits there and watches the movie with me. But anyway, so Curling and uh, Disney Plus and uh, uh, Luca coming to Disney Plus with no additional cost. So uh, this time it's personal. I don't know. You said this time, and that's been stuck in my head the entire time you were talking, Eric. So I didn't want to interrupt (laughs) you. I know I do it a lot. (laughs) All right, BJ, what is your one up? Uh, So I have literally, it's almost as much as Kingdom Hearts. I have talked about this game so many freaking times on this podcast. Uh, Persona 5 Strikers uh, is a direct sequel to Persona 5 and Persona 5 The Royal. Uh, It was released... uh, I want to say about two, three weeks ago. Um, it has been a ton of fun. It's uh, So this game is set up more like a Dynasty Warriors type game, but the original game was an RPG game. Uh, so it's it's very weird. It's a mix between an RPG game and a Dynasty Warriors type, like scramble t- type of game, uh, similar to um, Legend of Zelda uh, Age of Calamity. Or Hyrule Warriors. It's yeah, it's got that kind of formula, but it's got RPG elements, which are really neat. Uh, and they've integrated them seamlessly. The story is great. You get to punish um, terrible people, um, so that's always fun. Um, but yeah, no, it's got a great mystery element. Um, battle systems great. RPG elements are all there and wonderful. So uh, yeah, if uh, you haven't picked it up and you've played Persona Five, uh, it's a direct story. It's story wise, it's a direct sequel. Uh, so definitely pick it up. It is out now. Awesome. All right. So mine, I'm going to do a quick little shout out to uh, two amazing women in the music industry. Uh, a huge congratulations to Beyonce for picking up her 28th Grammy. Um, I think it was like a, what, a week ago or so from this recording that the Grammys took place. Uh, she now ties the record for the most wins at 28 so uh, congratulations to Beyonce and congratulations to Taylor Swift for Folklore uh, winning Album of the Year. It is uh, her third win for Album of the Year, and uh, she is the first female artist to win uh, Album of the Year three times. So great job uh, to Beyonce and to Taylor Swift for uh, making history um, 
in respective categories like that. But my uh, one up, it's uh, a bit more somber, but uh, I think I've mentioned it on the show, it may have actually been a one up at some point in time, but uh, A Million Little Things on ABC is my one up. It came back for its third season right before Thanksgiving, I want to say, beginning of November. And there were a couple of episodes and then it went on hiatus for Thanksgiving and a couple months after. And it just has come back in the last couple of weeks, uh, resumes episodes for uh, season three. And it is, I have described it to people as the 30 something of for my generation. So when 30 something was a show, I was still young and it was definitely for the Gen X crowd or the, the really late boomer into the early Gen X crowd. Because when I was, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, whenever it came out, that was, you know, definitely older Gen X was hitting that stride. Um, one of the characters was having to give his birth date to um, to a doctor's office, and the birth year was eighty one. And I felt personally attacked in my own home. Uh, it, it was just it, it's so weird to have uh, characters in a show like this where it's really centered on adult friendships and relationships, and to have it be like, okay, these characters were born in the same year that I was. Like it's just kind of weird to have that feeling. Um, but I mean, I'm going to be 40 this year, so I should understand this. Uh, so it's not really a 30 something. It's 30 something. If you, you know, gosh, shave off a couple years. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but it, it's, it's continuing on some storylines that obviously they trailed off um, season two with it's dealing with a relapse into um uh, substance abuse and basically kind of ta- taking on a portion of uh, opioid abuse and people with substance abuse history dealing with um, the use of opioids and, and PTSD from military uh, deployments and just it hits home in a lot of respects. It's weird for me to not really 100% see myself in any one character and to feel so emotionally invested, but the way that this ensemble cast is written and performs together, it is, it feels genuine. It feels natural and it feels real. And um, there are times where I have sobbed uncontrollably watching this show. Um, It's, I did not, see where it was going to go past the first season because kind of the reveal of the first season was in essence what felt like the end of the mystery of the show and they have found ways to expand in these characters lives to make it relatable and for you to want to watch and now in season three they've kind of found a way to cycle back and show the ripple effect of this one central tragedy in these characters we've never met before that are now kind of coming into an orbit of the main characters. So it's weird. I don't want to talk too much about like certain things because I don't want to give away some of the surprises from the first season and kind of the mysteries there. But if, um, if you are a scripted television person, 
if you like um I, I kind of I'm I'm struggling in a sense to kind of find a, a comparable show, but if you like your um, Grey's Anatomy, like those you know those types of shows where it's it deals with real world situations in this fictional world, um, give a million little things a try, and especially if you're kind of in that that late 30s, early 40s age range, um, and and just kind of see if it it pulls you in the same way that it did me and. Uh, being from the Northeast, these characters are set in the Boston area. It uh, it, it hits a little extra close to home. So, uh, so yeah. So that is my one up. A million little things on ABC. I couldn't even tell you what night it is on because I watch it on Hulu the next day when <laughs> it's there, and I can never remember what day that is. So, check your local listings. Check your Hulu, um, and uh, and give it a shot. All right. Well, that does it for us for this episode. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me. Thank you all for listening. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks with another microsode. Uh, and uh, we actually will be dropping some extra episodes in the not too distant future with our Rainbow Spotlight series making its way to audio format only. And um, you'll get those on some off weeks for uh, for your listening pleasure. So. Uh, for a little while in the not too distant future you'll be getting flame on uh pretty much every week so enjoy check out our website flameonshow.com check out our patreon at patreon.com forward slash flame on show and uh check out the rainbow spotlight series on monday nights on twitch tv forward slash flame on brian or any of our flame on social medias that have video and uh bj is on twitch as well uh twitch.tv slash pup bj that's b-e-e-j-a-y Eric is twitch.tv forward slash generic with a K underscore games. Um, get on Twitch, Eric. We promote this every time. Get your ass <laughs> on Twitch. <laughs> and you can uh, play Jackbox games with me on Wednesday nights as part of digital game night at twitch.tv forward slash bears in the city. All of these Twitch uh, links are on our website. So go check that out and uh, we'll see you next time. Until then, Bobby Bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.